In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents Donald Trump with a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm so help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hi, guys. It is Amanda. I'm back with Elise Morales. Today, we are so excited to be here with Eliza Orleans. Eliza is a public defender who is running to be Manhattan's district attorney as a Democrat. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. So I want to start right off with a really broad question, really broad. What are you doing and what paths did you take to get here? So I am currently running for Manhattan district attorney and it was not necessarily a linear path to get here. I really never anticipated running for office and certainly not running to be the chief prosecutor in Manhattan. Right. Uh, All I ever wanted to do with my life was be a public defender. It was the reason I went to law school. It was the only job I applied for. And I tell law students, but don't do that. Not recommended. (laughs) I really thought that I would be a lifer at the public defender's office. And I have spent, as you said, over a decade representing thousands of people charged with crimes and seeing the cruel and unjust way our criminal legal system operates and how it's not keeping us safe either. And I realized that we could do better. And the conversation around criminal justice reform has changed so much, even in just the last year or couple of years, let alone the last dozen years. And I realized that I could actually run for DA. And so I took this huge leap and this is what I'm doing. That's amazing. And I mean, we're, as we're talking, um, they just passed a major criminal justice reform bill in the House. So as you're sa- just like what you're saying, this is an issue that has really come to the forefront. Um, can you tell us some things that the district attorney could do on day one to immediately change the lives of New Yorkers, especially low income New Yorkers who have encountered the criminal justice system? Absolutely. I think so many people think about our criminal legal system prosecuting serious cases. Oh, you know, you see it portrayed in TV and movies and it's like rapes and murders. And people think that that is our criminal legal system. But what are what the system really is, is cycling through tens and hundreds of thousands and millions of cases every year that are all low level offenses. You know, I often tell a story about a client of mine who was an assistant manager at a Gristides in Lower Manhattan, who worked at the same grocery store for 25 years, made his way up to assistant manager. One night, he was locking up the store at 11 p.m., bought two bags of groceries with his employee discount to bring home to his family, walked over to the A train to go home, gets on an uncrowded subway car and puts the bags on the seats next to him and settles in. Two NYPD officers get on the train at 125th Street. They grab his groceries dump them on the ground, put him in handcuffs and take him to jail for the night. For the crime, what crime? Do you, do you know what, what I'm going to say? What Are crime? you allowed to t- not take up three seats on a subway? What? It is a crime occupying multiple seats on a transit facility. 
I know a lot of men that... who <laughs> should should be in prison for life. That's out That's of control. Shocking. And I've lived, I mean, I've lived in the city for almost 10 years now, and I've never heard that or seen that enforced in any way. But the thing is, the people like the people I've represented as a public defender mm-hmm. are the people who are getting arrested, yeah. Yeah. like taking up two seats on the subway obstruction of a park bench literally laying down on a park bench is an unclassified misdemeanor you're committing a crime if you lay down on a park bench but as a white woman if i were to lay down on a park bench no nypd officers ever even approaching me but if they did they'd be like miss is everything okay do you need something right yeah and meanwhile my clients are violently grabbed handcuffed face on the sidewalk taken to jail for the night for those offenses or for you know low-level personal possession of drugs or jumping a turnstile crimes of poverty crimes involving mental health issues and substance use disorder and so what the da can do on day one is say that's it we're no longer going to waste resources we're no longer going to prosecute people put people in jail destroy families and lives for these low-level offenses because that's not keeping our city safe. And in fact, it's actually making our city more dangerous because when we put people in jail, even if it's just for a matter of a few days, that person becomes exponentially more likely to reoffend or get rearrested. It is, it's illegal in New York City to be homeless, right? How does that work out for people that are unhoused? Basically, they've basically criminalized homelessness to the point where you you can't even exist and we're not providing for the people who live in our city. And, and so it's just it creates this horrible cycle. Do you know it costs nine hundred and seventy five dollars a night to put someone on Rikers Island? You could get a hotel room at like the Ritz Carlton for way less than yeah. that. Yeah. And so if you think about like what we could be using our city's resources, our taxpayer money to do for people instead of just cycling them back through and back through this unjust, cruel, dehumanizing system, it it would keep our city safer. It would make life better for everyone. It would be equitable and just and it would save us money. We're spending more money to house somebody arrested on a subway than we are to fix the subway. Yep. Yes. (laughs) Like $900 for all of those people. I think we'd have a nicer subway. You mentioned this as you were talking, but it's not just the arrest that is traumatizing and impacts impacts your life forever. It is immediately after, which is when we get into the cash bail conversation. You don't have to read much about cash bail to learn it just is objectionably terrible. I mean, it sounds criminal, frankly, yet only one state in the country, I believe Illinois, just eliminated it altogether. Which obviously begs the question, you know, somebody must be benefiting from cash bail to want to keep it around. Who does benefit from cash bail and why has it persisted? Oh, that's such an interesting question regarding who benefits from it, because, you know, the reality is we've been sold this false choice as Americans between incarceration and public safety or incarceration or or public safety and impunitive. Wait, let me start over. Um, As Americans, we've been sold this false choice between public safety and incarceration or public safety and a punitive criminal legal system. And the reality is that cash bail is not keeping us safe. Holding someone in jail pretrial does not prevent crime. It's not necessary to ensure people's return to court. And locking someone up even just for a short period of time can fundamentally destabilize people's lives and destroy their family and their community. And so, you know, people can, if it makes sense, right? If you think about it, like someone gets held in even just for a few days, they can't afford to buy their freedom, despite the fact that they're presumed innocent and they lose their job because they miss work for those days. And then they can't afford to pay their rent. They lose their home. 
they maybe lose their children to foster care because they're incarcerated or because they're a single parent. And, and then what? Their lives are completely destabilized, completely upended, and they end up you know, reoffending or getting rearrested. So the idea that that cash bail is somehow keeping us safe is just abs- an absolute fallacy. And who serves to benefit? That's a more complicated question, I think, because, you know, the bail bond industry obviously is incredibly predatory and the way in which these bonds, these bonds people um, profit off of mass incarceration and, you know, make these arbitrary decisions and, and basically steal money from people is, is despicable. But also, you know, the the way that our criminal legal system operates, and you'll notice I don't call it a criminal justice. I don't call it, you know, because it's not justice. It's really right. not, um, certainly not for everyone. And and so I, I say that, the, you know, you'll hear people say things like, oh, our criminal justice system is broken, but it's not. The problem is it's, it's operating exactly as designed. It's rigged and it's designed to systematically disenfranchise certain people and benefit others. So it's really rigged in favor of those who are wealthy and well-connected and powerful and against everyone else, you know, people who are black and brown, people who are lower income, people who are LGBTQIA, people with disabilities, people who are immigrants. And and that's why we have to change the system. You know, cash bail is something that is is one of the it's such a simple solution because we just really can just say on day one of my administration, I'm no longer going to request money bail, period. It's racist. It's unjust. It's wealth based detention. It's not keeping us safe. You know, for so many reasons, we just need to abolish money bail. So um, I hope that answers it. It's hard to say the exact beneficiaries. And there are so many people who benefit off of the prison industrial complex um, because people profit off of the mass incarceration of human beings, even when these are people talk about private prisons as being the problem, which it really is so much broader than that. And, And it's it's people profiting off of the incarceration of human beings. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. 
And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. One of the things that really attracted me to your campaign, Eliza, is that you've made decriminalizing sex work a key part of your campaign. So for our listeners who have maybe never heard that position before, can you walk us through what decriminalization means and what in your experience led you to that position? Absolutely. And I'm so happy this has become a national conversation and that people are talking about the decriminalization of sex work because it really is something, you know, this, this long running prohibition on what people call the oldest profession in the world mm-hmm. is has been one that has you know this criminalization has has stigmatized and disproportionately targeted people of color trans women um and it traps sex workers in poverty makes them afraid to come forward to report abuse um, or crimes committed against them and so decriminalizing sex work consensual sex work means protecting sex workers from police violence it means enabling them to access health care and lower the risk of violence they they face and if we aim to reduce mass incarceration, advance equity in the LGBTQIA community, you know, that is a mandatory step in getting there. And I think that there's such a conflation these days between um, sex trafficking and sex work. And that is actually, you know, one that that we have to push back on because because sex work is work. Sex work is people are engaging in it consensually. They're not being coerced or forced or threatened to do so. They're actually doing that as their job. And people say, well, how can you have this job? You know, there is a huge stigma with regards to sex and sexuality in our country, but we need to make sure that we're protecting all workers. And and if we're going to stand up for workers, then part of that is standing up for people who are engaging in consensual sex work. And in fact, when we decriminalize, it will enable us to better prosecute and go after sex traffickers to make sure that people who are perpetrating crimes on people are held accountable and to make sure that that we're, you know, holding those accountable who commit sexual assault or, or other violence. And um, really, that's that's how we will keep our communities safe. Yeah. I think you mentioned that conflation, and I think that there are some actors that try to like benefit politically from that conflation when uh, between sex trafficking and consensual sex work. So I think that's such an important distinction. Um, so nationally, 6%, I was so surprised to read this, actually. I did not know this. Nationally, 6% of convictions turn out to be wrongful. Does New York currently have like a system or a unit or just a process for dealing with potential wrongful convictions? Well, so wrongful convictions are a huge problem. And and I think that 6% number is a, it's a conservative estimate. The five to seven is a conservative estimate. Um, You know, some say it could be as high as 
you know, that that 12% would be a more reasonable estimate, but it could be as high as 40%. And so, you know, we need to take a very broad view of what wrongful convictions are. Um, We need to protect people against them before they happen. We need to make sure that we're not just doing the work decades after the harm has occurred, but that we're proactively working to prevent these from happening, Um, you know, which is why I put out a policy about what would be like a revolutionary conviction review unit that would actually have the ability to intervene and make sure that these wrongful convictions don't happen. And when you ask if there's one that exists right now, yeah, I mean, they, they, there's a, quote, conviction integrity unit, but it's really window dressing. It's in name only. It doesn't actually do anything to prioritize the rigorous examination of these cases and make sure that this is not happening. And so there's no transparency. We don't know what's really taking place. And so I think that, you know, having a, a DA who's really committed to making sure that people are um really able to challenge their convictions to make sure that 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 this data is open and free to everyone and that people and that we prevent these things from happening in the first place is is absolutely critical um, when it comes to to thinking through real reform to our criminal legal system. Um, so for those of for our listeners who are not New York based, uh, how does the New York DA's actions and norms impact the rest of the country? So the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is so um, crucial in so many ways that really has such wide ranging impact. So it's not only the fact that you know, Wall Street and so many other things are based right here in Manhattan where the DA would be responsible for those prosecutions. But if you think about the fact that had Cy Vance not declined to prosecute the Trumps back in 2013, mm-hmm. maybe we never would have had a President Donald Trump. So that's, not, that's not a Manhattan issue. That's not Ooh. even a New York State issue. That's not even an American global issue. That's a global issue. The Manhattan DA's office has global repercussions, you know, based on the prosecutions they do and do not bring. And so also, you know, if the Manhattan DA's office is is you know, elects someone like me, has a public defender in office. And I showed that, like, we don't need to be prosecuting people who are suffering from substance use disorder or mental health issues. We don't need to be asking for cash bail. And in fact, it's going to keep our city safer. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's going to result in like the uplifting of all people. And it's going to save our city money and all these things that you can set these policies that really everyone then can look to and say, oh, wow, look what they're doing. We can adopt those policies. And right now, the policies that are being exported from the Manhattan DA's office are these regressive, horrific, um, you know, racist policies that other DA's offices across the country are adopting because the current Manhattan DA's office is punitive and regressive and carceral. And, you know, it's it's highly damaging. So it would be a huge deal to have, um, you know, a progressive, a true progressive in the Manhattan DA's office, not just here in Manhattan, but across the country and world. Yeah. Yeah. And so would eliminating cash bail also, you know, impact the inverse, which means that rich people who are dangerous don't get to leave, don't get to go home. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that, that, you know, that's a complicated phrase when you say yeah. are dangerous because the way in which these dangerousness standards are typically used when there's like a risk assessment or an algorithm or something that's like, oh, is this person dangerous or not? Yeah. Well, what we find from that is that they're like inherently yeah. racist. They're unbelievably racist. And what it does is just serve to continue the mass incarceration of people of color. Got it. And so so when we assess dangerousness, it's really like the purpose of bail is supposed to be um, to ensure someone's return to court, 
to make sure they come back to their court dates. Right. And that's just not how it's being used. No. Um, and, and, you know, if you think about the fact that Harvey Weinstein, for example, when he was finally, finally charged by the DA's office, despite having recorded evidence for six years and not bringing that prosecution, he came to court. He had a prearranged bond of a million dollars, which was like a 50th of his net worth. He paid it and he went home. He did not spend one single night in jail, but he came back to court for every court date. He came back to court for his trial. And after he was convicted beyond a reasonable doubt by a unanimous jury of 12, then he was taken into custody, but he got to spend every single day, you know, being with his family, being at his home, you know, of because he was presumed innocent. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not saying we should be incarcerating more people because my view really is that it's de- yeah. that is, is decarceration is the right answer. But it can't be that the Harvey Weinsteins of the world get one set of rules while everyone else gets another. Absolutely. Um, Eliza, yours is the only grassroots campaign in the district attorney race. Why is that so important? So it is. I'm so proud of our grassroots campaign. I'm so proud of the, you know, thousands and thousands of donors that we have um, supporting our race, because I think what a lot of folks probably don't know and don't always understand, because why would you know this? It's, you know, very niche New York state law is that the maximum donation in my race is over thirty five thousand dollars per individual donor. So there's a lot of rich people here. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, some of my opponents who would be responsible as Manhattan DA for holding Wall Street accountable are racking up these, you know, millions of dollars in donations from Wall Street, from former Trump donors, from Ted Cruz donors. And that should be concerning to all New Yorkers. And, you know, it's one of the many reasons why I'm so proud to say that we've received thousands and thousands more small dollar donations than anyone else in the race, because the people who are supporting my campaign are the exact people who I'm fighting for. It's the people, you know, it's, it's the people I've always fought for. And, and being a people powered movement is so important to me because that's that's how we're going to win. Um, we're not going to, you know, outraise these these millionaires and billionaires, but we're going to be fighting for all of the people. So when people are like, oh, I'm going to give up my coffee for the week and give $25 to your campaign, like that's how we are powered. And that's why it means so much to me. I take like every dollar so seriously. And I'm just so honored to receive, you know, all of this incredible support. So there are a lot of sort of headline issues when it comes to races like this and what a DA does. We talked about all of them, cash bail, and Elise brought up sex work. Is there something that you think about a lot in this role that you're never asked about that you think is disproportionately important compared to how much people talk or think about it? That's such an interesting question. I think that, you know, the real problem with a lot of the way that people talk about like what it means to elect a progressive prosecutor, let's say, is, oh, well, this person is is going to be a good prosecutor and they're still going to you know, have all the same discretion. They're not going to make any categorical promises, whatever, but they're going to just be like a better prosecutor. And I mm-hmm. think the problem with that is really that even the DAs who are who are held out as progressive prosecutors oftentimes have not kept their promises. And even regardless of some of the good changes they've made, have still been the primary driver of mass incarceration of people of color. And so what I think we need to do and what I think we need to use as a gauge is we need people to be saying, "Okay, here's how I'm going to identify concrete ways of limiting the reach 
of the prosecutor's power. So for me, I want to go in there and give away 50% of my budget. I want to go in there and cut the number of cases coming through. I don't want to be in the communities, you know, continuing to put the DA's office, have arms in every element of people's lives. I don't want to say, okay, okay, yeah, we won't put you in jail for this, but we're going to rely on these like diversion or specialty courts or problem solving courts, because these are another example of net widening governmental intrusion into people's lives. And to the extent someone needs services, they should be able to get them, but it should be independent and outside of the control of the punitive structures of criminal court. And so I think that really when we think about electing a prosecutor who's truly going to be progressive and decarceral, it should be someone who wants to cede the power of the DA's office, who wants to give away that power, who wants to dismantle the way it is that cases are prosecuted and not just, oh, but I'm only going to be the good kind of prosecutor. Mm -hmm. Right. I was going to ask you to describe what a progressive prosecutor is, but I feel like that term in recent months and even year has become a little, doesn't hold as much meaning. It's been wielded by people who, who didn't actually execute what, what that would mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely agree with that. And I think like it's such a weird feeling because especially as someone who has been talking about these issues for you know, my entire adult life and having them be so unpopular. I mean, when I was talking about sex work in 2010 publicly, to say it was an unpopular opinion doesn't quite capture just how unpopular it was. And the Mm -hmm. fact that now other people are parroting my talking points and saying, yeah, sex work is work. And I'm like, cool, welcome to the party. But do you actually mean that? Mm-hmm. Or are you saying it because it's popular? Can we truly trust you? Um, have you heard that? Do you know the scorpion and the frog story? Yeah. You know, like the fable where the, where the scorpion says to the frog, carry me across the river. And the right. frog's like, the frog's like, no, you're going to sting me. And the scorpion's like, I would never do that. Yeah. Come on, please, right. please. I swear I won't. And the frog's like, fine. Okay. And he gets on his back and they're going across the river and halfway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog and the frog's like, no, I can't believe you stung me. And he's like, how could you have done this? And he's like, I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's like, you know, people aren't going to change their stripes no matter what promises they make. So the only thing you can rely on is someone's record, is what they've actually done with their careers. And I'm the only public defender in the race. I'm the only person who has truly fought against this carceral, punitive criminal legal system every day of my career. And and I think that it's time, it's past time to move to the right side of history and and really elect someone who who's committed to these ideals. Absolutely. So one fun question, which New York politician would you bring with you on the amazing race? Oh my God. AOC. In I a- knew it. <laughs> yeah. It's all the only there is answer. No other answer. <laughs> there is no other answer. I think she would bring you too. I don't think she'd bring Chuck Schumer. <laughs> all right. And Eliza for all of our listeners who I'm sure have fallen in love with you over yeah. the course of this interview, the way that we have uh, that want to help and support your campaign What are some dates that people should remember regarding the primary and where can they go to learn more about you and get involved? Uh, I would love for everyone to get involved. They can go to ElizaOrleans.com and join us. Uh, We are a grassroots powered movement. We are truly funded by small dollar donations from people like you guys, from your listeners, et cetera. So if you can afford to give a few dollars, it's so deeply appreciated. There's a big pink button. It says donate. Um, Go to ElizaOrleans.com and chip in if you can. And 
uh, get involved. We we have phone banks and text banks. We're doing things on Zoom. If you're not in New York, um, we have volunteer actions that you can get involved with from wherever. So mm-hmm. sign up to volunteer. We need you because this is how we're going to do it. We're going to reach more voters. We're going to talk to more people and we're going to get out the vote and we're going to win. Um, the primary is June 22nd and we are in the middle around of the corner. Petitioning. I know it's so soon. <laughs> it's less than four months out and we are in the middle of petitioning right now. We're getting signatures to get on the ballot. So if people are our New York state registered mm-hmm. Democrats, they can join us and, and help us collect signatures. But yeah, we, so we need all the help we can get. And we're so, so, so grateful for the support. And it was so lovely chatting with you both. This was thank wonderful. You so much. I'm thank so, you so yeah, much. Learned so much. Until mm-hmm. the end of democracy, this is Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.